Welcome to Books with Abna. On today's episode, I'll be talking to author Isi Ejapon, author of Teller of Secrets and her newest novel, Daughter in Exile. I'm just going to read a summary of the new novel, then we can meet our guest. Lola is 21 and her life in Senegal couldn't be better. An aspiring writer and university graduate, she has a great job, a nice apartment, a vibrant social life, in a future filled with possibility. But fate disrupts her world when she falls for Ahmad, an American marine station at the U.S. Embassy. Her mother, a high court judge in Ghana, disapproves of her choice, but nothing will stop Lola from boarding a plane for Ahmad in America. That fateful flight is, the, is only the beginning of an extraordinary journey. She has traded her carefree existence in Senegal, her perilous position of an undocumented immigrant in the 1990s in America. Lola encounters adversity that would crush a less determined woman. Her fate hangs on whether she would grow in courage to forge a different life from the one she imagined or whether she would she would succeed in putting herself and her family together again. Now, Daughter in Exile is a hope-filled story about a mother's love, resilience, and an unyielding strength. Hi, BC. Hi. Um, welcome. Thank you. Hi, Ekwa. Hi, Abner. So, Ekwa was here for episode six with um, book clubs in Ghana. How are your book clubs doing? <laughs> We are still driving. <laughs> okay, so y'all should go and listen to the episode. And, but we'll start with BC. Um, are you excited about your new book? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is actually the first book that I wrote. This is The Tale of Secrets is actually something that I wrote just to have fun. Okay. But Daughter in Exile is the first book that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Except that at that time that I wrote it way back in what? 2012 nobody was interested in mm. immigrant stories okay. and so publishers kept rejecting it wow. and it's you know much much later before my current editor acquired both teller of secrets and, and then, daughter in exile okay. and so decided to publish teller first and then daughter second okay so how do you think readers would um, respond to this book is there a particular emotion or a response that you wanted to evoke when you were writing this book? I have no idea. <laughs> because when you write a book, you think you've done you know, this work and it goes out into the world. It no longer belongs to you. Yeah. And readers basically bring their, their own opinions mm-hmm. to it. Sometimes what you think they're going to find funny, they don't find yeah. funny mm-hmm. at yeah. all. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. what you think they should sympathize with they don't. Yeah. So, honestly, I have no idea. But what I just wanted to do was write this story because it's a story that was really close to my heart that mm-hmm. I badly wanted to write. Mm-hmm. And so it's out there and now it's out of my hands. Mm-hmm. I hope, I hope, I can only hope that readers will enjoy it and mm-hmm. that readers will take some lessons from it. And yeah. that's about it. So, let's talk about writing the book itself. You said this, you wrote this first in 2010, right? Or 2012. 2012. Yeah. Oh, that's almost 10 years ago. Oh, yes. More than oh, 10 God. years ago. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Nobody was so, interested in it. <laughs> when you were writing, you wrote this, put it down, and then wrote Teller of Secrets, or you, you just revisited this recently, or how did that 
other play out? Actually, I decided to forget it. I was so broken hearted. You mm-hmm. know, when you write a book that you think you love it and you think everybody else should love it and then they mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. I just put it aside yeah. and I started writing the Tell All Secret mm-hmm. as a fun project for myself, yeah. which I enjoyed very much. So I didn't touch it again until way back in 20, I think it was in 2016 after, or 2017, mm-hmm. it was 2017, after I had finished the production of um, the Tell Out Secret, yeah. which at that time was of women and, and frogs. And um, after I had finished with that, then I thought to myself, hmm, why don't I pick up this story again mm-hmm. and brush it up? Of course. Um, the thing with writing is that you're constantly growing. So mm-hmm. when I went back to it, I thought, nah, I don't like this, I don't like that. And so I started uh, basically just mm-hmm. giving it a complete mm-hmm. overhaul to see if I could, you know, it was like a diamond in the rough. Let yeah. me see what I could do with it. Okay. So it was in 2017 that I finally picked it up again. I did not even, it was just there in my computer. I did not touch it. I did wow. not even want to see it. I was so disgusted with it. Okay. But when you were writing, so let's say 2017, when you picked it up again, did you know exactly where your characters were going when you were writing? Or you had, you actually had no idea where the characters would end up in your head? I, I didn't really. Sometimes I did. Because there were, you know, most of the time, one of the weird things, that, and every, every writer is different, but one of my weird quirks is I always know when I start a story how it's going to end. Okay. I know how it's going to start and how it's going to end. Okay. The middle part is it's what really... I usually don't know. And the middle part is where sometimes you're writing and suddenly, you know, people will say the characters take over and you think, oh, wouldn't it be nice if this mm-hmm. happened? Or let me make the emotion really sharp yeah. by, by making this happen. And so, yeah, I, I don't always know what is going to happen, yeah. but I always know what is going to, how it's, it's going, going to end. end. I know whether I want a happy ending okay. or a sad okay. ending or okay. a sad, happy ending. Okay. That I always know, but okay. I don't know what is going to happen in the middle. Okay. So we'll move on to Aqua. Aqua got the opportunity to read the book, the advanced um, readers copy, copy. Yeah. how did it make you feel hmm. it took me through quite a number of emotions mm-hmm. so tell us about <laughs> it i think my first uh, so i know you come to this but initially i was really excited about the senegal part uh, i i got into it the party scene the carefree young girl mm-hmm finished university, got a dream job, is on her own, which is something that not a lot of us get to experience because usually you finish and in Ghana, you remain with your parents until you get married. Yeah. So I was seeing a different dimension of what I guess it would be like, well, I I got to go out for my master's. So it's kind of, in a way, that kind of heady sense of liberation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm sort of being on your own being I didn't party but <laughs> so it was like living vicariously ah. through it. <laughs> uh, so that part I absolutely loved and yeah. so the next part was kind of like oh like My a God. kind of like a fall for me a fall not not that it's a bad thing in a book but it's just you know so going through the emotions Motions. as a reader it's yeah. like um it takes you through yeah. a certain ringer, like yeah, euphoric high, and then you just come you low. just come down, and it's like 
and the frustration with Lola. Ah, please tell me about <laughs> it. Was it was like you had so much going for yourself, and then it was like this. This just, this happened. just happened. So it's yeah. It was I'll just say it was kind of really emotional and um and just going being in the U.S. and then going through the different. Mm-hmm things, experiences that she went through was mm-hmm. uh, frustrating as a, for me as a reader. And part of that is because you kind of identify with Lola. So yeah. when she goes through all these things, it's also emotional for you as a reader. As if you are going through yes. it and then yes. you yes. think to yourself, I would do that. Yes. I would make yes. different choices. Yes. I would exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. So, um, Bisi, walk us through the writing, no, London, this publishing deal, Daughter, for Daughter in Exile. Um, was it easy? Was it hard? Usually when authors come here, I want them to kind of explain the whole ordeal with publishing so that up, upcoming or emerging writers would also understand how the processes involved or how it feels to go through the journey. So just walk us through the publishing deal as well. Okay, I'll do that. But before I do that, I uh-huh. want to address some of what she okay. said at the end there. Um, talking about how, uh, what she went through, the, mm-hmm. the frustration. Yeah. And, and I really can relate to it. And I think that is one of the things that separates people from Ghana. Or, no, not just Ghana, but people, people on the continent yeah. mm-hmm. from people who are in um, the diaspora. Mm-hmm. And there is a sense sometimes that we don't understand one another. Yeah. And even somebody who has lived there, like Ikea, was mm-hmm. actually in America, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Or, but you were abroad. Yeah. Even somebody who has been abroad, if you did not have, if you let's say, if you're being supported emotionally and mm-hmm. financially, mm-hmm. you don't understand what it is like. But think about... Um, when there are things that are happening in Ghana that we take for granted, yeah, we take our yeah. cultural, um, the way we fit in for granted, yes. and maybe we'll come back to mm-hmm. this later on and yeah. discuss some of these things. But, but I understand the frustration, mm-hmm. and at the same time, that is why people abroad lie, yeah, yes, because yeah. they yeah. feel they will be judged. Yes, they, they, they don't know how to let you know. How they see they don't even yeah. have the language for yes. it, and so what they do is they lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in writing this, my yeah. purpose was to lift them, the kind of like yeah. rip off the bandage, yeah. okay. and and let everybody see. And then there are people who don't want to see. Oh, you took off the bandage. Ah, that's horrible. I don't want to see it. Yeah. But it's good to see to yeah. understand. Yeah. And back to your question about publishing, for me, it, it it's weird because. When I started my publishing journey, it was all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you the, the the traditional rejection here yes. and there, here and there. But when I finally got publication, it was the easiest thing that yeah. happened to me. It just, and it, I think it was also something that I, and I know it's not fashionable to believe in God and all that, but I do. Mm-hmm. I prayed for for you know. I, I've always had this attitude of, if there is no way that somehow the divine will make a way. Yeah. So I just kept thinking to myself, wouldn't it be nice if somebody just, something like this just fell into your lap? Yeah. And what really happened was that I had a very good friend mm-hmm. who is a very successful and famous um, award-winning author. Okay. And we used to have such conversations, you know, we would have conversations about publication mm-hmm. and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. 
And then one day she just called me and she actually sent me a message and said, call me. And of course, if somebody says, call me when you get a chance, immediately I think, oh my God, what did I do wrong? What's wrong? I'm not going to. Any bad news? Mm -hmm. I can't. If you tell me to wait one hour, I'll call you the next minute. Mm -hmm. So I called her right away and she was very excited and said, I want you to write to this editor. Uh, He says to write to him because I was talking to him about your book and, um, and he liked it. Wow. And so he says you should contact him. And I had an agent. But at that time, George Floyd had died. And my agent's attitude was that her feeling, her judgment at the time, which was not a wrong thing, mm-hmm. uh, thinking, but her feeling was that, you know, we shouldn't appear to be capitalizing on George Floyd by submitting yeah. books by black people. people. So she decided we should wait. So my friend said, you just write to this editor. Mm -hmm. So I wrote to him and I said, you know, I have two books that I've written. One was published already in Nigeria. One which is getting ready for submissions and my agent has it. But if you want to see this one and I gave a quick, you know, one sentence summary of what each book was about. Mm -hmm. And I said, you tell me if you want to see one or both. And And he said, oh, he'd be interested in reading, in, mm. in, 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 in seeing the book. Yeah. And so then I told my ed, my agent, and my agent said, well, sure, I'll send both of them to mm-hmm. him. And within a matter of 48 hours, he received the books on Thursday by... Saturday. Tuesday, by Monday. He had mm-hmm. called to say, or he had communicated with my, my agent mm-hmm. to say he wanted both books. Wow. Just like that. Wow. And within 48 hours, we had a deal. And that was a preempt. So basically, they wanted to buy it quickly so Mm -hmm. they wouldn't go go on the market and they wouldn't have to compete for it. Mm -hmm. And so it was preempted just like that. So it it, it was funny. I wanted this so badly, so so badly. Mm -hmm. And then it happened in a very quick way. And you can relate to that in the daughter in exile. She wanted something very badly. And when it happened at the end, it was not through her effort, yeah, but it was yeah. like, it just yeah. fell in her lap, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so um, let's talk about, still on publishing, of Women and Frogs versus um, Daughter in Exile or, or Teller of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I, I keep getting it. It doesn't matter. They're because, both, it's yeah. the same book and I love both titles. Which publishing, you published in Nigeria of Women and Frogs, right? Mm-hmm. That's Farafina. Mm-hmm. And then you did um, Udia. What happened was that I, you know, uh, Farafina had only Africa rights. Okay. And after, at some point, mm-hmm. I got the rights back okay. from Farafina. And they did a good job. Okay. You know, I, I don't have anything bad to say. See. But my vision was to see the book to a, a larger audience. Mm-hmm. So I decided to get my rights back. Okay. And so then... Um, HarperCollins bought the rights. Wow. And once they bought World English, I came to realize that HarperCollins was not very enthusiastic about Africa. Mm-hmm. And so by that time, I knew Lola Shonen, the yeah, yeah. publisher. I had become more familiar with her, mm-hmm. and I've always been admi- an admirer of her work. Okay. So um, she decided to to acquire the Nigeria rights again, mm-hmm. yeah. so so that you know she would have the West Africa rights. Right. And since I'm with her, and 
once I'm with a publisher, I've, I've come to realize that I would like an African publisher. Yeah. And so I was actually going to ask you versus so, so this versus come, that. Yes. So you can ask. You can go ahead. Okay. But but she so, went ahead and acquired um, daughter in exile. So she's already acquired daughter. Prefer? Oh, she's acquired that one. She's as well. acquired that. Oh, that nice. and they've already come up with this gorgeous cover, stunning I cover, I've seen it, I've seen and it, it's going to come it, out soon. Mm-hmm. So which would you prefer, the the Western press or the Nigerian press or Africa? Let's just say Africa. Yeah. Press. The, well, well, each each side has its good side. Mm-hmm. What I like about the an uh, uh, African publisher is that um, they really get the stories yes. for one thing. Yes. And the other thing too is that when you're describing something, so when you are having the editing process is a lot easier mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they don't ask as many questions yeah. as the foreign mm-hmm. um, uh, publishers. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is that even when it comes to creating a cover, mm-hmm. um, most sometimes I have this feeling that Western publishers don't seem to see us. I don't know if you've noticed mm-hmm. this. And it's not intentional mm-hmm. because all publishers want their books to succeed. Yeah. They buy the books they love because they want the books to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I have had a really wonderful production team at HarperCollins. But what usually starts is that initially, you know, there is this tendency to come up with a, what I feel is a fixated idea of what an, an African is supposed to be mm-hmm. like. So uh, the initial cover for... Uh, what do you call it for the tell of secrets had this hard faced woman and yeah, I said yeah, no no yeah. no she's described him and it, as as somebody who is sexy as somebody who, wow. is, who is attractive and all that so I need an attractive mm-hmm. feminine looking woman mm-hmm. and a black woman can look um right. the, uh, in fact they are feminine and, and sexy so so we went through several iterations where I'm thinking I need her hair to be a bit messy I need mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. I need her lips to be fuller I need this from her and then at, at one point unintentionally or not somebody had stuck an African map on her face and I said I need the African map gone mm-hmm. because when you have ha. a book from Europe you don't project you don't put there the is, map there you, you, you are making it an other kind of book mm-hmm. you, you are yeah, what I call othering it. Yeah. But if we want to go mainstream, because, I mean, feminine, fe- feminism is a mainstream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody, yeah. Everybody can can deal with patriarchy and all that. So, so we we got to a place, and in this particular case, too, um, the original cover was something that there was a woman on the cover that looked Southeast Asian hmm. and all that, and I wanted hmm. again, and then the colors I thought were dark, and so. We went through, but the good thing is that, like I said, the publishers love what they do. Mm-hmm. So they listened to me and they came up with a cover that we all love very much. Yeah. With, the, with with reader books, the very first sample they gave me, I said, sold. I love it. Wow. So we did not, there was no, there was no back, back and forth. forth. Not even, in fact, they rather later on said, well, we were thinking of this. I said, no, no, no. I, I like this one. Mm-hmm. Don't do anything to it. I love it exactly as it is. Wow. So, so we got that. So there is that aspect. There is that. There is also the fact that when you're dealing with a small publisher, mm-hmm. the publisher knows you, puts a lot of effort. People don't realize it. Some of these uh, African publishers, and I don't get that sadly with Ghanaian publishers, but that's another story. But mm-hmm. a lot of these African publishers put so much re- effort, resources into planning a, a book, book tour and all yeah. that as I'm yeah. talking to you. 
uh, Wida Books is planning a book tour of Nigeria for me, mm -hmm. for instance. And in Ghana, though I will probably be on my own, but with the help of Writers Project of Ghana, yeah. I might be able to do a few Something. appearances. With a big publisher, HarperCollins, the advantage is also more financial. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, African publishers cannot afford it's they not can't. that they don't want to they, they can't, can't afford to pay more yeah. because for one thing when they are selling books readers are complaining yeah i mean somebody complained about paying was it 75 cds yeah. for the teller of secrets books are that, expensive busy. books are expensive books and are expensive. Even, uh, of women and frogs uh, of frogs the cover alone of of women and frogs cost about Printing. what seven eight hundred dollars to design Okay, so the 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 writer ha the author has to no the publisher mm -hmm. has to make a prof profit. Profit. They have to pay their staff. Yeah. They have to pay for printing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have to pay for the cover for everything, everything. for distribution everything. everything, and still have make enough profit and still be able to pay the author royalties. African publishers. So they can't what do we do? They can't afford these things, yeah. and yet and and this is something that I lament. I can sit with my friends and we can sit down and by the time we finish and, and, and the gentlemen that I've, I'm with have guzzled about 2,000 <laughs> CDs worth of drinks yeah. and whatnot. Uh, women go to the hairdresser and just for one day, just for what, maybe you spend about three, four hours with the hairdresser and mm -hmm. you buy some hair pieces. By the time you leave, you spend close to 2,000 CDs. Yeah. But you don't want to pay even a hundred CDs for a book that took two years see, to write and to produce. You see, come I, will, I will come back to this thing All because right. I'm a reader. Yes. And monies that come out of your pocket to buy, you will come up to yes. you'll come back to this conversation. Yes. But um was it reading this book, it was quite emotionally draining as um Equa said. Lawless obstacles were so daunting. They it was just back and forth and going back and forth. Was there any part of the story that you wrote that was emotionally draining to write? Oh, yes. And how did you deal with the feelings and the emotions? So, um, you know, I, I, not to do any spoilers, I will not say yeah. anything, but I would say anything that involves children, for me, is very emotional because I've always loved kids. Mm -hmm. From the time I was a, a little girl, I've always, you know, children, even now, wherever I am, children gravitate towards yeah. me. I love kids very much. Um, it is what kept me in a in a ter in a in a in a poorly paying teaching job just because <laughs> you know the idea of saying mm -hmm. goodbye. I find myself, uh, for instance, there was a situation where a, a friend of mine was in a difficult situation and had to leave, and for about two years I took care of her children, and I turned down a good diplomatic job. job. Because I could not bear to leave the children. Mm. So anything that involves child endangerment or, mm. or mm. children um, in, in, in a sad situation or anything that involves mother-child difficulties, it's something that I find. So some of those scenes, there is a particular scene, and I think you no know spoilers. what I'm talking no about. No spoilers. That I actually cried writing it, and any. Right now, anytime I'm rereading, I kind of skip that portion wow, wow, <laughs> because wow. I don't. Because here's the thing with writing for me personally, I don't know about other people, is that 
I have to live the experience. Mm-hmm. I write as if I'm watching a movie mm-hmm. and I am inside the movie. Mm-hmm. So whichever, whichever character I'm writing about, I'm identifying with, with that character. And I'm also a mother yeah. in real life. Mm-hmm. So that is very difficult for me to mm-hmm. actually write. That was a very difficult scene to wow. write. And wow. it, 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 it made me cry. Yeah, and I've had editors. Um, one of my first readers, who is also a, a, an editor, he would tell me I had to take a break at this point because yeah. I needed time to recover. Yeah, yeah. And some people are not even able to come back to it because yeah. it's like, okay, I'm afraid of what else will what happen. happen. <laughs> but that was the worst mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> so, Aqua, um, was there any part of the book that fascinated you? Was there any part of the book that it totally threw you off but brought you back again? No spoilers. Now that's the thing. So no spoilers. <laughs> but you see, the, the Sami mentions Lola's life in Senegal, and you also mentioned how you enjoyed that part. Mm-hmm. But me, that was that was my favorite part. Mm-hmm. It was just crazy to see how somebody, especially Ghanaians, because I had no idea that Ghanaians were living life exactly what was going on in Senegal. So it was a good way to like open my mind to Ghanaians living in other parts of Africa, Africa. as well mm-hmm. and their experience. But yeah, I, I, another thing that actually drew me was the letters that Lola Tina shared. Yes, I'm, I hope I'm not spoiling it with no, that. No, yeah, because the book actually starts with a letter. Yes. Yes. So for you, that mother-daughter relationship that was explored, how did you feel mm-hmm. reading that part? Um, so I, how do I answer this? It's an interesting dynamic when, uh, um, I feel like mothers who have daughters have certain expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, number one, having a bond with them because you are both females. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of like a sister daughter, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, thing. So sometimes I feel like they have with that bond also come certain expectations mm. and this is a high court judge so and an ashanti at that who uh-huh. has certain am i spoiling it no, no, no because no. And, and, and what you say is so true because there is also pressure yes. with that expectation Patient, can come uh, pressure yeah. to succeed exactly. in the same there was way. even a dynamic where um lola's elder sister Mm-hmm. was her life in a way I would say was perfect was mm-hmm. falling according to her, her mother's, mother's expectations she has fulfilled yes. and yeah. in always every family you always get the one child yeah. that is doing everything that the parents expected and the one child yeah. that is a yeah. little you know yeah. talk about that's a little harder to reel in mm-hmm. and that, that and mm-hmm. that is yeah it, it, it's I think a mother's love can be both redemptive and oppressive. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that's it, it's, uh-huh. and then it but then you see the the, the, the it there are also layers, you know, yeah. you think about yeah. grandparents and yeah. whatnot. It's a very complicated. Yeah. It is it's very complex. complex. Yeah. Because there is no the love, there is no question about the, the love. The love is very yeah. deep. Yeah. But then with that very deep love comes all okay. these complications mm-hmm. of yeah of whether you're living up to your mother's expectations. expectations. And then the 
the not the child to not wishing to disappoint, but mm-hmm. also at the same time wanting to do your oh, own thing. It, it's yeah. a very complex relationship. Okay, so speaking of um, the first child versus second child thing, mm-hmm. it, it plays out very well in the sense that usually the first child pulls the line, and then the yeah. second one. <laughs> At, because I can relate. Of the yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> because of the first success, child, um, second, and you're second. second child. Okay, we got everything. And I'm the last born. Oh, so you, it's you easy for me. No, I'm actually the not the last born, but I feel like a last born. I'm the tenth child, oh. which is even worse. Mm-hmm. Like wow. you've had all of us sacrificing uh, for you. Yes, <laughs> all of us. By the time you come, you are so spoiled. Yes, it's like mm-hmm. having like I don't know ten parents yeah. or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, I, as I said, I mainly enjoy reading about Lola's life in Senegal, her friends, her work, people, places. Like, Senegal just seemed like a very interesting place to be. And you look at Lola's carefree life in Senegal and how it contrasts with her difficult life in the U.S. There's also this culture shock, which moved me a lot. In the U.S., things are not happening as they put it in books and in music. It is not like that. We have been tricked into thinking that it's better outside Africa. And it is so crazy. Is this what you wanted to accomplish when you were writing this book? Absolutely. Absolutely. What, there is something that Lola, a question that Lola actually asked one of the Americans. Mm -hmm. Like, why do you give this impression? I remember when I was in Dakar. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I lived in Dakar. Mm -hmm. There was a, 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 I was very close to the people in the diplomatic uh, community, and there was one particular girl whose father was a cultural attache, and she was an African American, and there was another African American family. They, uh, and we're all very good friends. And I remember uh, one day I was in their house, mm-hmm. and we were eating. We, I, we used to go there a lot. That place was like my second home. Mm-hmm. And I said, Why is it that I actually asked this? Why is that people always act as if. America is a place that is like a land flowing with milk, milk and, and honey. honey. And she said, it is. And in fact, her, her, her friend, another male friend, had written an essay where the person was talking about how Washington, D.C. is a well-paved this thing, hmm. well-paved, with well-paved streets, mm-hmm. and what a shock it was to come to Africa. And they were always, and you see that scene where Lola is there and, and people are complaining about Africa. Yeah. That's actually something that I experienced mm-hmm. a lot. The Americans there were forever complaining about America. Well, guess what? When I went to the U.S. and I looked up the same friend, mm-hmm. to my utter shock, she was living in some miserable ghetto mm-hmm. in a, a, a single parent with two children mm-hmm. struggling. Who, one father was in jail, the other was. It wow. was, I mean, the father of the child was in jail, and, and I drew some inspiration from that. Right? Yeah. And it was, but I turned the tables around. I like to show. Never, 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 never.